0: It kind of makes me yearn for the zombie apocalypse.
1: A zombie apocalypse is based on a fungal outbreak? Exactly. (laughs) Brain-eating
0: zombie fungus in exchange for not having to deal with all this racial bullshit. I might actually say yes to that. We have been through big events. You know, 9-11, Great Recession. Those things happened. Did they bring us together racially? No, I would not say that was the effect. Certainly not 9-11. Congress, median age 91, has recently learned what TikTok is, and now they want to ban it. Twitter's value has dropped faster than an old man's testicles, and we are going to talk (laughs) about that and why that's happening. And digital blackface, is it a real thing, and why not? But first, we should mention, there was a horrible shooting this week in Nashville.
1: Anybody who's going to shoot up a school killing three six-year-olds, that person is mentally ill. It would be one thing if it was a principled argument, but it seems that a lot of the people making these claims cherry-pick when is the right time to be an individual, and when is the right time to be an avatar for for an identity group.
0: You can't always keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. i don't think that means we shouldn't try.
1: Even parts of the developing world, um, you know, America really is exceptional in, in this way where we tolerate shooting after shooting after shooting in our schools.
0: You notice a difference in the way Twitter
1: functions since Elon Musk took it over? 100%. What has happened under Elon Musk has surprised me. He has actually made the product Worse and cheaper in every way, and making all blue check marks be a sign of verification through subscription to Twitter Blue for seven or eight dollars a month or whatever he's charging now. It's a joke. It's it's making the check mark, you know, like a fake Gucci bag and telling people, I've got this fake Louis Vuitton bag from China. Isn't it cool? It's strange to think that the wealthiest man in the world made a place feel like the cheapest platform around. You know? <laughs> He's damaged his
0: brand. When he bought Twitter, Tesla stock dropped. Wow, yeah. what an amazing double play. You didn't just invest in the thing that you ruined. You also ruined the thing that you had that was fine. Are you on TikTok? I can't stand it. I got on and was like, this is the dumbest bullshit I've ever seen in my life. This is fucking stupid and our next generation is fucked if they like this stuff because it's goddamn brain dead. That was my (laughs) honest curmudgeonly opinion of comedy on TikTok.
1: It's a weapon of mass destruction from China with love. Even a
0: Trump led government is nothing like the Chinese government. My God. Hi, I'm Thomas Chatterton Williams. And I'm Jeff chatterton mauer i'm a writer and i'm a comedian and we host a podcast called wrong think more of a question than a comment in addition to being more of a question than a comment it is also more of a podcast we want people to know about than just two guys talking into a microphone for no reason so we'd like to ask you to please subscribe to the show if you like the show please share it with your friends if you don't like the show then please punish your enemies by sharing it with them and also, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Grinder, We've got a lot of listeners on Grinder. The Wrong Think Podcast. Thinking, except bad. Thomas Chatterton Williams, can I call you... You're going to like this one. T-Rex Chatterwillsaurus. Is that okay?
1: My son would like that. He's in a dinosaur phase. So yeah, let's go with that. Okay, then T-Rex, uh, how are you doing this week? You having a good week? I'm having a good week. I'm uh, I'm back uh, in the countryside after having run around, traveled a lot. I'm out of Paris. Um, Survived Paris. Garbage is getting collected out here. Escaped so, Paris. Congrats. Yeah, things, Congrats things on that. Up.
0: Hey, I got something that's driving me a little bit nuts this week. Can I share it before we get to stuff that matters? What's on your mind? What's on my mind is the zombie apocalypse and how it gets a bad rap. People always focus on the negative of the zombie apocalypse. Just the phrase, zombie apocalypse, I feel like it's pejorative. I feel like we need a euphemism. It focuses on all the downsides. Let's talk about the upside of the zombie apocalypse. I've been catching up on The Last of Us. Have you seen The Last of Us?
1: I have, I've just read about how it was like the most successful video game in the past 10 years or something crazy like that.
0: Yeah. An an enormously successful video game. Now there is a TV show on HBO based on the video game. Sounds like a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. It's like quite a good show. I really enjoyed it. It's done one season. I liked it a lot. Uh, And here's the thing about The Last of Us. It is endearingly post-racial. There are characters of all races and they have all types of relationships that romantic, platonic adversarial. It's all good, and it's all uncommented upon. Thomas, it's kind of beautiful. It kind of makes me yearn for the zombie apocalypse a little bit.
1: You just need some type of massive catastrophe to to get us over the hump of... uh... Of identity. Yeah. Of identitarian, you know, um, <laughs> balkanization and zero-sum games that we play. You just need something to bring us together. A zombie apocalypse you like what is that? It's based on a fungal outbreak, is that it? Exactly, yes. There's a brain-eating fungus. So we just need there. something like that. I mean... We need a brain-eating fungus. <laughs> yeah, or, Honestly. you know, impending climate disaster. You would like to think that something could allow us to pull together. <laughs> And we wouldn't... I'm legitimately
0: asking myself right now if I would make that trade. (laughs) Brain-eating zombie fungus in exchange for not having to deal with all of this racial bullshit. I might actually, I might say yes to that. I might go for that trade.
1: If it were temporary, if there were a cap on how long the zombie apocalypse could last, and there were, we would get out on the other side, and we, re, we would remember the lessons that we'd learned. Personally, I'm not
0: going to put conditions on it. I, I, uh-huh. Beggars okay. can't be choosers. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll just take the fungus any way you slice it.
1: <laughs> you know, I have to be a little bit doubtful, actually. I think that actually... With a lot of these things, we're learning that a pandemic, the possibility of a land war in Europe again, financial collapse, the possibility of climate collapse, these things actually are not... Um, changing our fundamental behaviors. You can imagine climate change, the waters yep. rising, the, the the water lapping up to our hands as we take the last selfies, doing bullshit on Instagram <laughs> before it's over. You can also imagine the racism just lasting in the zombie apocalypse. I'd like to think that <laughs> it would be as good <laughs> as The Last of Us, but I'm not sure when I really think of it.
0: It's true. In the real zombie apocalypse, it'll just be uh, cockroaches and racism will be the only things that survive, probably. Yeah,
1: people will still be finding ways to keep it petty. I'm afraid that's probably true. I mean, you know, we have
0: been through big events, you know, 9/11, great recession, those things happened. Did they bring us together racially? No, I would not say that was the effect. I would say really I would say 9/11. we're better off <laughs> now than we were in like 2001, but was that
1: certainly not 9/11. What would you say? I so don't mean, think no, 9/11 no.
0: 9/11, <laughs> no. No, to the extent that had an effect on race relationship was not good, I
1: would say. <laughs> Thrust us so, into about 10 yeah, the years of identitarian uh, warfare.
0: 20 years. Yeah, maybe. that sounds <laughs> about right. 20, yeah, we're, we're arguably still in it. So yeah, the theory that um, big, terrible event equals racial progress, that, that probably doesn't hold up very well. Except maybe we just haven't had the right terrible event. Maybe the brain-eating fungus is what we need.
1: Maybe so. But I do like those shows that try to posit a world where, you know, let's act as though race doesn't matter. And that racial division has already been conquered. Let's just presume it's conquered and then show you what the life would look like in that under those circumstances. And it actually looks like where I'd really like to be. I don't understand why it doesn't catch on more.
0: I think there's a quiet uh, majority and like a very, very solid majority. There's pulling behind this that really would like uh, to be post-racial. Of course you would. Like, Of course none of us would like to be limited by our race. We would all like to be done with all this bullshit. That would be lovely.
1: All right, so um, we just got to engineer the lab leak of the fungal virus and get it popping. Yes,
0: yeah, so this this podcast now has two uncompromising positions. We are pro-brain-eating fungus and anti-traveling in the NBA. Those are the there two positions we've spoken out <laughs> so far. Should we get to stuff that matters?
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on this week, I think. I'm afraid. There's a lot going on. we we got, 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 got to go.
0: talk about Congress. Median age 91 has recently learned what TikTok is, and now they want to ban it. Twitter, that Twitter's value has dropped faster than an old man's testicles. And we are going to talk about that and why that's happening. And digital blackface, is it a real thing and why not? But first, we should uh, mention I uh, talk about stuff that matters. There was a horrible shooting this week in Nashville. Six people are dead, three of them children. It's obviously terrible. I wanted to talk about the reaction. To that. I wrote a, an article a year ago. I put it on my Substack. stack. Uh, it was called the Brooklyn subway shooting does not confirm your priors. And the argument I made in that piece was that our opinions should exist almost entirely independently of these relatively unique, terrible, visible events like a mass shooting or 9-11, which we already mentioned. These things are to try to draw big lessons from these things. I think we are prone to trying to overlearn lessons from these things. And also they can, because the moment is so tender and so raw, they can be used as a political cudgel. And we are seeing that right now because this shooter was trans, there are already people, J.D. Vance, U.S. senator, so, you know, not somebody you can ignore. They're trying to make the connection between, oh, this shooter was trans, it's trans ideology, all that. I think our independent, whatever your opinion is on Whatever you define as trans ideology, and how would you define that? It needs to exist separately from the shooting. I don't like the way people try to connect A to B in these times.
1: Yeah, it's a sloppy and dangerous thinking. I mean, it, it kind of relates to something that's been driving me crazy lately on Twitter, which is this kind of spike in the virality of black crime videos, as though anytime an individual yeah. black person commits a crime, it's, uh, it speaks to a larger truth about all black people. Same could be said sometimes, yes. you know, you could actually... Yes, that's annoying, make,
0: not yes, it does. Continue. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you could make the case that it's yeah. the same type of dynamic when one police interaction is made to stand in for the millions of police interactions that happen, you know, in the country annually. Uh, right. It's always dangerous to draw universals from particulars. And this is kind of insidious because we have so many mass shootings And under Mm -hmm. so many circumstances, we say the person's a lone wolf, they've got psychological problems, we can't really say something larger about, you know, what goes on in our society, we can't say something larger about the prevalence of guns in our society, this is an isolated incident. So some of the same people that would make that case when it's another identity group behind the mass shooting, not when it's a Muslim, maybe, not when it's a black (laughs) a uh, shooter but certainly uh, some of these troubled white males are lone wolves but the trans the first trans mass shooter that i'm aware of is suddenly not an individual but an avatar of a group you know we're talking about Audrey exactly. Hale. Um, well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Is male it, it, trans person. It's, it's interesting how the you know there's. It would be one thing if it was a principled argument, but it seems that a lot of the people um, making these claims cherry pick when is the right time to be an individual and when is the right time to be an avatar for for an identity group.
0: Yeah, and I suppose that's the that's the thing, isn't it? Whatever your position on the connection between rhetoric and. Somebody who does a horrible thing like this, that position should remain consistent. Because you're you're right. It's if when it's a Timothy McVeigh type, when it's a white, you know, right-wing anti-government, you know, perhaps QAnon type, then there are people on the left who will go, aha, aha, see? This was bound to happen. And then when you when in this case it's a trans person, or if it was a Muslim person, you'd have people on the right going, aha, aha, see. I suppose it would be possible if one had a consistent position of atmosphere, climate, rhetoric leads to these things. If you had a consistent position on that, I would say, okay, well, I at least understand that you believe that these people, a product, these shooters, these, you know, murderers are a product of their environment. I at least understand that as a a valid position. It is not my position because I feel that these people are, for lack of a better term, nuts. They are so far out there that to connect them to the real world, it's like, well, the the fact of the matter is they're sort of unmoored from the real world. That is, how they got where they are to begin with. Um, anybody who's so going yeah, to So yeah, I actually, think you got to be consistent.
1: Anybody who's going to shoot up a school, I'm killing two six-year-olds, uh, three six-year-olds, that person is mentally, by definition almost, mentally ill. So That is my you know, position, yes. I don't understand why we can't get to the point where we have a serious conversation about why there's not a greater representation of mentally ill people in the United States of America than other parts of the world. But we have so many more mass shootings, and we also have so many more guns in circulation. Why can't we talk about doing things to limit the access of mentally ill people to high-powered firearms, as opposed to wring our hands about trans ideology or other ideologies that are supposedly the problem here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Let's... If we dive into gun control, that's a long conversation, and we have a lot of bullshit to talk about. People might be able to guess, because of where I am on the political spectrum, that there are a large number of gun control measures that I would support. They are always going to—we did just have a gun control bill that passed last year. It did some stuff, some common sense stuff. I agree there should be more. It is always the case that you can't always keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. I don't think that means we shouldn't try. Yeah, I mean, um, they managed me, to do also, a pretty
1: good job uh, in uh, lots of other parts of the developed world, even parts of the developing world. Um, you know, America really is exceptional in this in this way, where we tolerate shooting after shooting after shooting in our in our schools, most vulnerable, you know, citizens. I have no choice but to be. You know, I also have to say that I watched the body cam footage of this, uh, of the Nashville police taking down um, Audrey Hale. It's pretty astonishing. I mean, talk about video games like The Last of Us. It looks like a video game, first of all. It's, It's kind of crazy. But I have to say the difference between the Nashville PD's response and like Uvalde last year when they just did not go in and didn't want to go in and made excuses not to go in. I mean, it's it's astounding. These were really brave guys who rushed in. They ran in to danger and immediately located and took out the suspect. Um, It's pretty impressive work. And it just underscores the degree to which the lack of courage in Uvalde was just appalling. I mean, if you're going to, one of the things that you you come away uh, from that video thing is if you're going to sign up for this work, you've really got to be brave, but that's the job.
0: It's true. And uh, you're right,
1: massive respect
0: to the people who who ran in there. And six is a terrible number, but a higher number would have been that much worse. Oh, yeah. So credit to them.
1: I got to say also, it's, it's a crazy way we live now when this footage, I mean, the shooting happens and the footage is online and you're just watching the thing almost as fresh as uh, it's still warm. You know, the yeah. it, 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 we live in a world now where everything is visible and maybe way too much reality is visible visible it feels hyper real yeah.
0: um, i mean you know you you say you're watching it i'm like nah you're watching it i can't bring myself to do it i saw the, it was on my twitter feed i could have watched the clip it's I all the clip. over I the can't.
1: twitter feed though yeah. you know it's not it's not hard to find this is a change that I'm noticing in the way we live now. I mean, it's not just that thing that video is out there. It's that video is omnipresent. Every atrocity is yeah. anybody. I mean, anybody well, can see anything.
0: Let's talk about that for a second. The, the effect of video as a way of talking about what's going on in the world. Because you already brought this up. There is that genre of videos of some black person somewhere committing a crime. And I have the same reaction that you do, which is like, come on. This is a big country. It's a big country, big world. Every day there is going to be some clown somewhere doing something awful. We now have video of it. Is that doing a lot to distort our perceptions? Because you're right. The way they're showed around is it's always somebody who, you know, they comment on like, wow, you know, look at what's happening now. It's like, man, that's always it's terrible. (laughs) It's always going to happen. It's a big country. There's always going to be somebody committing some terrible crime.
1: I mean, to put it in perspective, you know, there's like 44 million black people in America, a nation of 320 million or more individuals. The black population is essentially the size of like Spain. You know, it's it's an enormous yeah. population within the American population. And, you know, to take these videos of black criminals in individual situations with zero context and slap them on the internet as though it says something larger about an entire so-called racial category. I mean, it's as though it's representative on a racial level is really insidious. It's dangerous. It's sickening. It has really changed under Elon Musk. I have to say, I don't know if it's, on purpose because this is a so-called free speech issue or if it's the fact that you know it's such a bare bones operation now that there are no engineers there to man the ship and 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 the quality has just gone down but basically trolls, racists, spammers, all types of bad actors taking advantage of this algorithmic laxity and so you just have racism porn all over uh, the timeline now and that's what it is and it, it couples with the for you tab instead of the following tab where you're getting yeah. stuff that you never from people accounts you never liked you never followed and it's just i'm seeing snuff films you know you see a, you're seeing a lot of videos oh of vigilantes killing uh Jesus. mostly black criminals marjorie marjorie taylor green mm-hmm. our congresswoman has uh retweeted some I mean, it's really foul stuff, and these are edge cases. Um, No matter what people try to say about statistics of black crime, it's disproportionate. It's still a tiny minority of the population, and these edge cases are meant to stand in, and that's the unspoken, sometimes spoken part, is that this stands in for an entire group's criminality, and it's reprehensible.
0: We have statistics, statistics on crime. The statistics are what the statistics are. People are using these videos to whip up anger, and in fact... Distort reality, and that—that okay. that is clearly the purpose of what they're doing. And to make and it let me say careful. that racism porn is the one type of porn I cannot get behind. But let's <laughs> talk about Twitter because this is the this is something we want to talk about anyway. So, are you saying that uh, you notice a difference in the way Twitter's fun- Twitter functions since Elon Musk took it over?
1: One hundred percent. And you know, I'm not somebody that was rooting for Elon to fail at all. I was actually thinking that the old regime had so much corruption, so much hypocrisy. Matt Taibbi and others uh, with the Twitter files have shown just how much of a shit show it was behind the scenes. But what has happened under Elon Musk has surprised me. He has actually made the product worse and cheaper in every way. You know, I was not... A fan of the old verification regime because it was often based on ideological consensus or you know people having been given blue check marks when they worked as an audio engineer at vox.com and then you know and then the process changed and you know they never made clear what the standards were they denied people based on ideology it seems but basically by and large it was still a signal that, you know, this account was in some way either notable or needed to be verified so it couldn't be faked. And yeah. now what Elon is doing apparently on April 15th, making all of the legacy blue check marks disappear and making all blue check marks be a sign of verification through subscription to Twitter Blue for 7 or $8 a month or whatever he's charging now. It's a joke. It's like it's making the check mark, you know, like a fake Gucci bag. And telling people that yeah. it's the same thing, like I've got this fake Louis Vuitton bag from China. Isn't it cool? It's just the same as if, you know, like I had bought a Louis Vuitton bag, right? No, uh, you can say that Louis Vuitton bags suck, but don't tell me that your Canal Street blue check checkmark uh, <laughs> means something other than this thing is tanking. Um, and apparently um, there are going to be new changes in April. I'm sorry, the April 15th changes for only subscriptions can get the For You tab, which sucks and is a kind of awful innovation anyway. But also they'll get priority visibility and they'll be able to participate in polls. And he's basically trying to make the user get a, experience- Get a free as cup as cupcake possible. on your
0: birthday, I, I understand. Was that? Get a free cupcake on your birthday, I understand. All sorts of
1: perks. <laughs> for, for $8 a 10% month- 10% off a free at free Jiffy Lube, oh. free Biscuit
0: with order at KFC. I mean, it's not all bad. It's, it's an enticing offer, I got to say. <laughs> well, Why do you think he's doing this? Why all this-, this is, revenue-based stuff. Twitter's thing used to be, all right, hey, it's free, but guess what? There are going to be a lot of ads in it. it be all these sponsored posts. When you're scrolling through, you're going to see an ad or three. Now he's trying to get people to fork over X dollars a month to get this blue check mark, which you're arguing is completely devalued, and I would agree with you. He wants people to just pony up a couple bucks a month the way you would with you know Netflix or whatever. Why is he doing this? What's this about?
1: Well, the, Twitter used to be ad dependent and it still is, but the quality of the advertising has just gone through the floor since Musk took over too. Like, I know, platform. I think there are ads
0: for this podcast on it now. It is <laughs>
1: shit now. Can you believe that?
0: Do you think are they worse? I always go right past them.
1: Big companies basically fled the platform once he made it clear that he was reinstating neo-Nazis and, and all types of people that you don't want your advertisement for Nike or GM. Sure. <laughs> next to,
0: or, or, or Volkswagen next to a neo-Nazi. They really, are very <laughs> Volkswagen definitely doesn't Nazis, need yeah. that. They don't trying want to, get to talk away about from Nazis. That.
1: So now you've got advertisements for stuff you've never heard of that's crap, you know, like just really, really low budget ads. The, the whole place, mm-hmm. I mean, it's strange to think that the wealthiest man in the world made a place feel like the cheapest platform around, <laughs> you know?
0: Do you think it is partly because he bought Twitter for $44 billion? And this is not my world. I don't know this stuff. But I read a lot of people whose world it is saying $44 is way too high. Oh. And... Another thing I read this week, or maybe it was, I think it was this week, is that based on a stock uh, option he did for employees, you can deduce from that that Elon's present valuation of Twitter is 20 billion. So uh, if I may pause the podcast for 20 minutes to do some math, I think that is less than half of 44. Is he trying to do this stuff because he made a terrible investment and now he realizes, oh my God, I'm losing so much money so quickly. I got to get some revenue in the door.
1: Is that what's up? Well, it's a bad way of doing that because the revenue is tanking. It's true that Twitter, he bought it at a very overvalued price and was guaranteed to lose something because Twitter has never been a money-making machine. But I'll just read, there was a very good article in TechCrunch today about, uh, it's entitled Twitter is Dying by Natasha Lomas. Right to the point. Lomas (laughs) Lomas <laughs> writes, nor does this gambit look like a money spinner for Musk either. He's clawed in just $11 million in subscription revenue since relaunching Twitter Blue three months let's, ago.
0: Let's reiterate that. That's $11 million with an M. So if you heard that and thought, okay, well, then he's halfway to his valuation of $20 billion. No, <laughs> no, that is not correct. $20 million with an M. Oh, sorry, $11 million with an M. Sorry, go on.
1: Per sensor tower. And the reminder, Musk paid $44 billion for Twitter last October and has already destroyed half that value, according to a recent leaked internal memo. So yeah, this game of pawns has been very expensive for Musk. It's an eye-watering lose-lose situation, unless you're a spammer, basically. Then presumably, it's a cheap way to spam Musk fanboys if that's a useful thing to do. Making money out of Twitter doesn't seem to be the point for the billionaire former world's richest man who obviously has wealth enough to throw plenty of borrowed billions down the sink. Although early in his takeover, he trailed or trolled the idea of transforming Twitter into a billion user platform. But when it comes to growing revenue and users, we must all surely agree that Musk has been drastically spectacularly unsuccessful. And, you know, it's funny to think that he was the world's wealthiest man. He's lost more money than any human being in the history of humanity. Apparently, <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> and Bernard Arnault, uh, who makes the real Louis Vuitton bags, is the world's richest man again, because he actually sells products with a degree of quality and luxury that make you feel like you're in a place that you'd want to be, even if it's a superficial kind of dream. Uh, Elon, for $44 billion, has made a kind of impoverished environment that makes it feel like you're in a place you don't really want to be anymore. And, and it's, 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 it's kind of amazing that he lost his spot as number one to the person actually making the real bags.
0: Huh. I, I definitely feel that Twitter is a place that I do not want to be. But in fairness to Elon, I felt that way before he took it over. It's a bit. You gave a pretty clear answer to my question, though. Is he just doing this for revenue? It sounds like, well, no. Or if he is, he's an idiot because it's not really working. It's interesting to me that he seems to be failing so spectacularly about this. And it kind of reminds me of when Michael Jordan played baseball. I think yeah. there's a psychology yeah. with people where they're like, I'm amazing at this one thing. Logically, I am amazing at everything. And I think that is just not how intelligence works. I think there is not such a thing as intelligence so otherworldly that it can be applied to any area. I think you can become brilliant at one thing, possibly two. But there is this hubris that makes people like it does seem Elon Musk in this case think, look, I've had success before. I'll be successful at everything I do. I'm Elon Musk. And I'll make it work. And he seems to have blundered into this thing without having any fucking clue what he's doing. That's What's crazy theory.
1: is that it's also and I don't think I'm alone here. It's making me even look at what he does well different. I look at Tesla's differently now. I no longer <laughs> desire like I, I used to think, you know, i <laughs> (laughs) were to get an electric car i would be interested in getting a tesla that's no longer the case I no longer have a desire to own Tesla. And I know that I'm not alone that way. He's damaged his brand. It's really Tesla stock has
0: dropped. I don't know if it's still down, but I know when he bought Twitter, Tesla stock dropped, which, wow, what an amazing double play. You didn't just invest in the thing that you ruined. You also ruined the thing that you had that was fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really, I don't know this, you know, the past year exposed a lot of really successful and talented people as being interested in tanking their credibility and their likability. Who, who else are you thinking of? I'm thinking Kanye West was an enormous... Oh, Kanye, goal. okay, sure, yeah. You All know, right. there was, nobody asked him to do White Lives Matter shirts, and that just started one of the craziest seasons of self Phone. <laughs> Imaginable for, for an artist that really, you know, a generational talent. I mean, no one asked him yeah. to do it, you know. Uh, it, it's really quite extraordinary. Uh, Sam Bankman Freed. No one asked him to pretend that he was the world's, you know, most morally upright citizen uh, and the greatest yeah. outgift to ever lived, so that there would be greater I, and greater scrutiny about him.
0: I see that one as, a, I think that one is a little different in that it turns out that was just always a front. That was always there was, a front. Uh, that extra, was always just a front. There was no there there ever. Extra Kanye different. is different. Kanye was, it was probably an incredible musician and revealed himself to also be a nutcase and has torched every bit of credibility that he once had.
1: Yeah. So, so you Sam, know, I Sam Twitter just More
0: like he got found out.
1: He got found out. He was in a Ponzi scheme, but you often get found out quicker when you pretend when you insert yourself into debates like effective altruism that you don't actually need to be in to do your business. And then you attract greater and greater scrutiny.
0: I am really going to enjoy the Hulu documentary on Sam Bankman. <laughs> that was going to be almost as good as the Theranos one, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, was we, actually, that was good.
0: Should we continue on to uh, another another tech-related topic here on Tech Talk with uh, T-Rex and Jeff?
1: TikTok. Are you on TikTok? I can't stand it. I mean, that's the one where I really drew the line. But TikTok is kind of omnipresent, so you see it on other platforms, so you can't actually avoid it. That's Unlike Twitter or Instagram, yeah. you see TikTok everywhere.
0: The youngs love it. It translates well to other platforms. I mean, I see stuff that originated on TikTok on Twitter all the time. Exactly. The youngs love it. I think it's idiotic. I maybe already told this story on this podcast, so I'll keep it brief. I'm a comedian. I'm 42, so I'm the older generation now. One night, I had a couple beers and it was like, I want to enjoy what the young people are enjoying. I want to I want to acquaint myself with the new generation of comedy. I know people say they're getting stuff from TikTok now. I'm going to go on TikTok. I had an open mind. Like I said, I had a bit of a buzz on, so that's the perfect climate to receive a purpose, perfect state in which to receive comedy. I got on. I was like, this is the dumbest bullshit I've ever seen in my life. This is fucking stupid. And our next generation is fucked if they like this stuff because it's goddamn brain dead. That was my honest curmudgeonly opinion of comedy on TikTok.
1: And everything is brain dead. I mean, have, but it's dangerous. I mean, you've got a very young child, but if you see your child from the age of like six, seven, eight, nine and older on TikTok. It's a terrifying thing to see the stupefaction that comes of the Are your kids already face. on TikTok? No, but you know, sometimes a friend will show them a phone and they'll see it and you just see oh, their yeah. face change. It's, you know, it's a weapon of mass destruction from China with love. I mean, there is a real reason why in China, the exact same uh, app is strictly regulated like it's a, you know, like it's a prescription drug and none of the crap that floods American screens is available in China. They get uplifting patriotic and educational videos And the amount of time that you're allowed to spend on TikTok in China is strictly regulated. You can't spend more than a certain number of minutes on it a day if you're under 16. So the idea that it's harmless is laughable when China makes clear that they don't see it as harmless.
0: That's true. They regulate it tightly like they do everything related to the internet. And this is kind of the issue here, isn't it? Because the reason we're talking about this is because Congress is considering a ban on TikTok. Specifically what they're considering is they're saying to the Chinese company ByteDance, which is closely tied to the Chinese government. People do not seem to be making much mental distinction between the Chinese government and ByteDance. And from what I have read of the situation, that seems to be like a fair lack of a distinction in this case. But they're saying ByteDance, you either got to sell TikTok or... We're going to ban you. And there are two big concerns from what I can tell. Well, probably three. The third being just kind of like, does TikTok suck? Is TikTok bad for us? John Haidt, come tell us how TikTok (laughs) is maybe ruining our kids. That'd be number three. That's sort of like unstated, I think. The two stated ones are number one, data. All sorts of data that you use uh, through TikTok is now possessed by this Chinese company, ByteDance. And that includes, from what I understand, from what I've read, and maybe some tech person can show up in the comments and say, no, that's not actually true. But from what I've read, I understand it's not just like what you clicked on on TikTok, what you typed into TikTok, your you know physical location through TikTok, but also everything you type on your phone, which is oh, yeah. pretty remarkable, goes to a Chinese company. And then the other big concern seems to be China's ability to be a gatekeeper of data that we see. And this is the one, I, the data one, I'm kind of like, oh, that doesn't sound great, but it sounds like there's probably a solution there. The fact that they can gatekeep information. I am actually quite worried about that. What if there's an invasion of a, of Taiwan? You can think of a million scenarios in which there are things the Chinese government might not like us to see. And because they have this power of the algorithm, they could basically dial up or dial way down what we see through this influential platform.
1: Yeah, and I don't even want to know the number of Americans that primarily get their news through TikTok. It must be not insignificant. 315
0: million. <laughs> 90%. No, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's, whatever it is, it's too high. It should be zero.
1: You know, my friend Melissa Chen brought up a good point that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez joined TikTok to make this video about why we should not ban the app. And, you know, Melissa Chen tweeted that U.S. social media companies, quote, as as AOC said, also do the same thing by collecting data, end quote, is a facile argument promulgated by those who in essence are saying there are no differences between a Chinese company and a U.S. company. That is a patently false legal and moral equivalency. Um, She continues, structurally, there are fundamental differences. CCP members must sit on corporate boards national intelligence law, counterespionage laws, among others, that require TikTok to hand over data when requested by the CCP. Contrast this with U.S. social media companies where government agencies try to influence social media companies, see the Twitter files, not by law, but by covert methods of infiltration and hoping for willing volunteers inside companies. It's high time that we subject Chinese companies to reciprocity to stop this ridiculous asymmetry. TikTok itself is not allowed to spew the crap it does to the Chinese population within its great firewall. Why allow it to operate freely in the U.S.? They can reach our market. We can't reach theirs. Make it conditional or ban it. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I was, you know what? I was interested until the part where you said... They can spew this crap to the Chinese public, but why do we why do we let them do it to us? Spewing crap, I kind of uh, am in favor of uh, maybe not the spewing of crap, but the right to spew crap. I will defend your right to spew crap uh, <laughs> to the to the last man, to distort a phrase. Just because I, I kind of what I really what I really don't want is the government involved in deciding what we can see and can't see, which is exactly why I worry about the Chinese government's control of TikTok. The AOC quote that's stunningly oversimple and I'm not too surprised to hear that from her. I think there are two gigantic false equivalencies in what she said the first being the relationship between the company and the government. it is definitely the case that the US government will ask tech companies for things and, and the tech company will say no you have to come with a subpoena. you have to get that subpoena from a judge. you have to go to a judge and prove that you really really need this information that is the only way you are getting stuff from a, an American tech company. And I when I was at Last Week Tonight, I wrote a lot of the Edward Snowden stuff. I kind of got into this whole area. There are legitimate concerns here, but I felt that in that Edward Snowden era, we were too glib about how easily the government can access stuff. I really came to think, like, it's not actually that easy. There is actually a process. You can argue the process should be more stringent. You can argue it should be less stringent. But you do have to go to a judge and get a subpoena. That is very different than in China. So that's the first false equivalent. The second false equivalence, is to say that the United States government is the same as the Chinese government. And look, I am wary of too much government involvement in any case, as I just expressed. I do think of a government led by Donald Trump. That is a government that I am... It's certainly prone to abuses because of who is the president in that moment. Nonetheless, even... A Trump-led government is nothing like the Chinese government. My God, do I need to run through a list of crimes done by the Chinese government? I don't think this is any form of xenophobia to say the Chinese government, Xi Jinping, specifically—he is a hardliner. He is not like his predecessors. He is a real bad guy. He is doing all sorts of bad things. His predecessors weren't so great running essentially concentration <laughs> camps. I mean, I'm I'm getting all riled up because it's like, why do I even have to articulate why the Chinese government is bad? They're real bad stuff. So yeah, yes, it, I, it, I am it, quite it, concerned about their influence.
1: AOC is kind of a useful idiot here. I mean, it's <laughs> it's the problem you have when. You have influencers instead of politicians, instead of elected leaders yeah. who focus men on and women getting their actual job done as opposed to growing social media followings. I mean, AOC is fundamentally an influencer. It's kind of sad that she joins TikTok, makes a viral video, gets more clout for herself, clout chases on this issue without thinking through why there is actually bipartisan support for taking some sort of action on an app that is at- best, stupefying our children. And at worst is actually a kind of national security threat. I mean, she conducted herself as nothing but an influencer here. And it's it's just really like abysmal. And I hope that actually, you know, this is one of the things that we can come together and agree on. Um, We're looking for ways to decrease polarization and unify. And I think taking national security threats seriously from both sides would be a good start. I mean, I, I am free speech it's Almost just- absolutist, but I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think that free speech means that hostile, potentially hostile foreign governments have a right to propaganda. I don't think, you know, free speech means that uh, Elon is a free speech warrior by flooding our minds with, uh, with spammy bots and race porn. I think we can have a mature conversation about what free speech is without saying that everything has to be completely unfiltered, mindless goop. And anybody who complains or wants to restrict any flow of information at all is, you know, is on the wrong side of that debate.
0: We've mentioned this before on the podcast. To be pro-free speech is not to believe there should never be any limits whatsoever on speech. It is unfortunate that I'm never able to articulate a clear absolutist principle in this area. I always have to say things like, I think social media platforms should moderate with a light hand, which I understand Mm -hmm. is disappointingly... Yes, objective. But nonetheless, I think people can understand the orientation that I'm talking about. And I think as far as TikTok is concerned, I think my position is a free speech position because my concern is that the Chinese government will decide, oh, protests in Hong Kong, we don't want people Mm -hmm. hearing Mm -hmm. about that. We're going to turn down the algorithm, you know? Any, I don't know what kind of viral content would promote that. I I am not AOC. I am not social media savvy. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what stupid fucking dance or challenge where you put a fucking, I don't know, a bunch of cayenne pepper up your ass. Or I don't know what the kids are doing. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Challenges where you jump off a 20-story building or something like that. But anything that would drive attention to an issue that the Chinese government does not want us to know about, we're not going to see. And I think that's a pretty big goddamn problem.
1: I agree. I hope they ban it. I hope we figure out a way to salvage Twitter, which was really a great way of um, sharing expertise, even if it was always a frustrating place to be with really rude interlocutors. And I hope we find a way to stifle China's reach into our children's brains with TikTok. And, And if we could do one or both of those, I think we'd have a better
0: social media environment. The value of Twitter has dropped so much. T-Rex, maybe you and I could pool our money and buy it. What do you
1: say? <laughs> do you have $19.9999 billion? No, and unfortunately, I don't have enough friends I can I can ask to jump in on this with me. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> That's a shame. Well, okay, you know, we'll table that idea because a lot of these companies are up for sale and uh, I think we should get in on that. I think it'd be a good investment. Let's stay in the area of social media and weird arguments. There's an article this week on CNN.com called What's Digital Blackface and Why Is It Wrong When White People Use It? Thomas, do you want to run us through? Actually, I'm not going to frame this as a question because I'm afraid you will say no. Thomas, please run us through digital blackface as described in this article.
1: So the idea that black people's and oftentimes, let's be honest, it's not middle class, upper middle class or non-celebrity elite black people. It's a kind of stereotypical poor black exuberance that ends up in memes, right? Big expressions, you know, memes like, that, yes, the, you know, memes of yeah. Um, of the, the, these are the of, things. Let, let's remember that our, our, our median listener is 95 years
0: old. Memes are and they're going to love this episode, by the way. Memes, the things that people respond to, you know, something, somebody says something on Twitter and then somebody responds with, I, f- I feel like all the ones in my stream are people from the office. It's always Michael Scott going like, what the hell? Or yeah, memes.
1: Memes come in all shades. You know, there's, there's no racial component necessarily to a meme. You can have.
0: That's where you're wrong. According to CNN.com.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I I don't think so. I think that what they're saying is actually that there's a type of black hyperbolic, Reaction, wide eyes, a kind of African-American vernacular English, gestures, dances, physical expressions that get memed and shared and that white people can use to outsource a kind of emotional reaction and also can be both participating in and finding funny and also using as a kind of, I think, sublimated racism There's an argument for that. This is not a new conversation. It cropped up again on CNN.com in this article. But for years, people have been making this point. Uh, There was a writer, Lauren Michelle Jackson in Teen Vogue, who I think coined the phrase. My friend Camille Foster has spoken on this in the past. Ben Shapiro had a kind of interesting video response to this on his uh, on his televised podcast. And he said, you know, it's ridiculous. There is no, you know, America is so not racist anymore that you have to go looking for racism and creating new racism because there's actually, in fact, a a dearth of racism, a shortage, a racism shortage in the country. Uh, You know, I think that this is one of those issues where I mostly agree with Ben, but I have to be honest and say there is a point. I think that they're not all, and it's actually racist to think that Black people have to be protected from certain things, that, you know, memes are funny. Using a white person on a meme is harmless. Using an Asian person on a meme is halfway harmless. And using a Black person in a meme is racist and cannot be done by anybody not Black. I think that when you make those kind of rules, that that necessarily actually keeps That necessarily makes race a central category that we still can't get past. It keeps us stuck in race thinking in a way that's unhealthy. And it keeps us paranoid and suspicious of each other. However, I can't deny that I think there are people who use these memes in a specifically racist way that we don't use white people being hyperbolic uh, and and maybe there are yeah. ways that Asians are used in racist memes as well, but specifically a black way is a kind of, it can be racist. Let's just, if anyone's ever gone I, on 4chan. Yeah, there's a, there's a grain
0: of truth. There's a grain of truth there. I thought this article made a real yeah. poor argument, but I will agree that there's a grain of truth there. And I want to make sure that we we cover, for people who didn't read this article, I got to make sure that we make it clear what the hell they're talking about. This article argues and we should probably just dodge the phrase digital blackface, partly because people have used it to refer to, to, refer to something else. People have used it to refer to when a white person will get on Twitter with an avatar of a black person and pretend to be black. That's not what they're talking about here. And also, I think you can argue that digital blackface is too hyperbolic of a term for what they're talking about. But let's just, so let's ignore that. What this article is about is using a meme to respond to something. And Thomas, you're right. that they, they are often talking about a meme that is a black person having like a big reaction to something. So, mm-hmm. black person having like a big reaction to something and it might be a person a black person who is you know is they're not famous they are probably poor they are using as you said uh black vernacular i cu- there's i feel like there is a grain of truth there i feel like it's the equivalent of like if you did like a real like white rednecky kind of florida man if it was a guy like maybe he's missing some teeth and, you know, he's got like a trucker hat and a mullet or whatever shirtless and, and was just saying there's always people who are like they were on the local news. That's why this clip exists. They were on the yes, local exactly. news and just exactly. says something dumb. Like, I can understand how you would see that and feel like, oh, OK, I see what you're doing there. You're doing kind of like a, a redneck thing. When you take the black equivalent of that guy, I understand how you can react to that with, OK, I see what you're doing there. You're doing like kind of a black minstrelly type thing. I get that. I I get that that is kind of a thing.
1: There are classic examples, like the girl who was, you know, who was talking about her eyebrows being on fleek. We in this bitch, finna get crunk. Eyebrows on fleek, The fuck. You know, and that gets, and there was a kind of nationwide rejoicing in using her voice her linguistic uh, stylings her kind of funny looking appearance as a way of you know expressing all types of things for people yeah. who were kind of wink wink laughing at it as well as you know the fact that it's funny and this is why it gets tricky it's really funny and if we're treating people as equals and respecting that <laughs> everybody can be funny then you shouldn't say that a, you can never laugh at a poor black person because actually they can be funny too, you know, but there's also yeah. the, you know, remember that guy Antoine Dodson, hide your kids, hide your wife. Do you remember this? Um, I don't remember that Super viral video um, when he was interviewed after a crime somewhere in the South. So y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband because they're raping everybody out here there's countless examples. If you go on YouTube, you see all these yeah. videos of, of people yeah, getting interviewed yeah. on the local news that go viral and they become memefied. And so it's one of those issues where I would say that, you know, I think there is some racism there. I think there's not always racism there. It's not by definition racist. And so it's one of those things we yeah. can never fully know. And so it's one of those things we just have to say human life and human psychology is messy and there are conflicting motives and we'll never fully know other people's motives. And let's just not concern ourselves with some of this stuff. You know, I think that you can't police every little corner of the human psyche and make rules about how people can act and, you know, the, this article, these kind of articles that are against digital, digital blackface, they get into a kind of school marmish, you know, yeah. everybody has to get on the same page about what is racist and what isn't racist. And I think it's not realistic and we should just not concern ourselves with all of this stuff.
0: Well, and also just the headline, what is digital, digital blackface and why is it wrong when white people use it? Okay. I, conceding that there is a bit of a thing where, all right, if you're, if you're using some of these memes, some of them might have a racial element to that conceding that point if it's wrong to kind of use someone in that way and laugh at them in that way. And I agree. You can laugh at a poor black person if you're not laughing at them for being poor or for being black. Everybody can be funny. Everybody can be funny. If that's not allowed, then like you're saying the person's a protected person and that's because they're so fragile and weak and that's fucked up. But if there's something kind of like not good about using these memes and I agree that there's not, then it's kind of not good when anyone uses them. Right. And I understand why it might be worse when a white person uses it. But if it's just kind of like, hey, that's not our best foot forward. Could you just kind of cool it? That should be a universal rule. Right. Well, yeah, it just I mean, like I this agree article is so frequently overstepping
1: and go ahead. I really agree with you. You're saying agree. You agree with
0: me. So please go ahead.
1: <laughs> I would say that's the um... The same issue you have with uh, the N-word. It's kind of silly and unrealistic and untenable to say that certain identity groups have the right to say things that are reprehensible and cannot be said by other people. And that there should be a kind of identity-based policing on certain cultural behaviors, expressions, manners. It's not going to happen. So people are going to mm-hmm. be continuously policing. It's either you... Try to make distinctions based on what seems to be motivated by ill intent or not. And that's going to be a case by case, necessarily imperfect judgment call. Uh, and you kind of move on, or nobody does it. Um, but then you would have to have lots of black people on Twitter. You know, black Twitter originates most of these memes. They're not, black Twitter's not doing this behind closed doors, it's, it's, yeah. it's public. So you can't kind of throw things out into the ether and then say, but, but don't touch it. And of course, most most black people aren't actually saying that. Most black people, I think most users of black Twitter have profound senses of humor and aren't, you know, the school marms writing articles on CNN.com about don't use the on fleek meme. I don't think that's actually accurate to say black people are shattered by the use of memes. It's also this weird situation we're in now where people speak on behalf of black people and say how we must be protected. But I'm not even sure that's what there's demand for those op-eds in cnn on cnn.com in the first place
0: i'm sure yeah there might not be (laughs) because you and i both work in media we should both point out that one of the dynamics here with these articles getting written is look you're a writer you're trying to figure out what will they publish (laughs) what
1: you (laughs) got you got it what my
0: editor go for (laughs) and a lot of times you're just gonna you just pitch fucking anything and maybe your editor maybe maybe this writer maybe he pitched this article and it was one of 20 that he pitched And his editor said, yeah. And he went, that one? But he wrote (laughs) it up anyway, because it's your job. How many pieces did I write on last week tonight that I was like, that one? We're doing that one? But you write it, because it's your job. And then it's a national conversation.
1: And then it's a national conversation, and here we are.
0: um, I do think they overstepped so bad. I say they because he interviewed people in the article. So there's just a lot of overstepping. It is a meme, as you pointed out. So it's kind of weird to say, like, Boy, the people in these memes, it's like they're having really big reactions and they're kind of inherently funny. It's like, yeah, that's kind of what a meme is. You kind Tons. of wouldn't become a meme if you were a normal person st- stating something in a sound way. I also thought it was weird. At one point. Like, in the second half of the article, they're kind of getting into stereotypes and, yeah, how you might use use somebody who is maybe not the best representation of a group, and maybe they're used in kind of a minstrelly kind of way, and that's the part I kind of get. But in the first part of the article, they said white people using black memes, like, for example, Michael Jordan crying no, or Tyra Banks. That's right. America's next top model. It's like these are these are successful, powerful people on fucking television shows. So it seemed like they didn't even know what gruel. They were trying to establish.
1: Yeah, I was trying to speak specifically about poor black people interviewed on, you know, local news or things, or, or or who have uploaded videos of themselves that go viral because that's much more to the point. The idea that Michael Jordan crying the way he did is off limits because of his race is insane. He's one of the most, yeah. generationally important people of of an entire era. He's hugely famous and successful and strong enough to take a joke. And you know, his crying was hilarious. Yeah. And if Tom Brady did it, he'd be memed too. So it's ridiculous. That that's like one of the examples. So, but it's con- like like a lot of this stuff. It is complicated, and 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 you can't quite put your finger on where the line is. So, I wouldn't go as far as Ben makes a good point to an extent, but I wouldn't go as far as he does because I don't think you can categorically say there's no racism here. Uh, that's that's a bit too strong of a statement. Mm-hmm. I do think sometimes, yeah. I mean, John McWhorter makes this point and it's, it's pretty true. There's going to be some element of racism, you know, we're not going to eradicate every last drop of racism. Can you survive? Can you get through your day with, you know, a degree of digital blackface? Uh, it certainly is something that bothers me a lot less than the kind of crime videos that are being uploaded and the actual racism porn that goes on. You could say it's a continuum, but, yeah. you know, I think I can survive with a little bit of ambiguity behind the posting. <laughs> of hilarious hyperbolic memes. It's just not one of the things that I think we're ever going to eradicate. And, and then we have to make our conversation around race a bit more uh, mature than that.
0: Yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. Nonetheless, I'll bet we're talking about this for years, if not decades to come. Thomas, I'm glad you're back in the States. I'm glad you survived that horrible, horrible foreign country where your wife makes you live. <laughs> that is full of, by your own description, riots and trash. That's what you said last week. Welcome back stateside. I hope before next week we have a zombie apocalypse. You know, fingers crossed.
1: That's going to, yeah, that's going to get us where we need to be.
0: Yeah, it'll be fantastic. Well, then I will talk to you then. Have a good one. You too, brother.